Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to uh, all of you uh, children that are here today at church because your mom said that the only thing that she really wanted for Mother's Day was for her kids to be with her in church. Good work. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, just a, a word of warning. She also wants a present, though. So I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but hopefully you got her a card, uh, too. Uh, happy Mother's Day to, to my uh, beautiful wife and the mother of my children, Camille. And my mom, my mom, being the pastor of, of the church where my mom attends is an amazing blessing. Because no matter how bad my sermons are, I know there's at least one person who's going to say I did an awesome job. So happy Mother's Day to all of you. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been studying through this book for the last couple of weeks. And we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this morning. I I have a, a particular love for the beach. I love the ocean. It's just my favorite place to go and hang out. And I, I think I love it for different reasons. I spent a lot of time there when I was a kid. I have an aunt and uncle that live, uh, near Capitola and, and, and so I have a lot of nostalgic memories. I love the smell of the ocean air and love the sound of the waves. But I think the thing I love the most about the beach is just how huge it is, right? How, how when you, when you sit on the shore, all you see is water as, as far as you can see. And it, it makes me realize how small I am and just how huge God is. You can't help but stand in awe of God when I'm by the beach. For some people, it's, it's the mountains. It's uh, being up there surrounded by nature and by, by trees, clean air, um, millions of stars overhead. You realize again how, just how huge God is. How big his creation is, and it's impossible not to stand in awe of God. This last week, I had a chance to go uh, with uh, Pastor Chris to uh, uh, the pastor's retreat, which is over by Silver Spur, and uh, we spent some time fishing at Pinecrest Lake. It's just it's breathtakingly beautiful. Trees everywhere and huge rock formations, and you have fish jumping out of the water, and osprey flying around, diving down, catching fish. It is, it is a worshipful experience. Uh, every bit as worshipful as the time we spent singing with a room full of other pastors. It, we, we stood in awe of God. For many people, th- there is nothing that inspires awe in their lives. No matter where they go or what they see, nothing is just uh, that impressive to them. For some, they, they just never look up enough to catch a glimpse of all the glory that's around them. For some people, they're just so big in their own eyes that they can't see the grandeur of anything else. And to some people, everything is just ordinary. It's just common. Someone once said there's two ways to live your life. Uh, one is as though nothing was a miracle. And the other is as though everything is a miracle. I think everything is a miracle. I believe that standing in awe of God is the only right place for us to be. 
Here in in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, the preacher wants us to stand in awe of God. He even says so in, in verse 14. This poem that's all about the times and the seasons of life is intended to be like standing on the seashore and staring out over the ocean or staring up into the night sky filled with stars. It's intended to help us gain some perspective. Follow along as I read chapter 3 starting in verse 1 through 8. There is an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up is lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Did you guys know that that was in the Bible and not just a song that the birds sang in the 60s? Yeah, (laughs) that's where they got it. There's an appointed time for everything. There's a a time for every event under heaven. And and that includes the good things and the bad things. The seasons of joy and the seasons of sorrow. Times that, that are delightful and sometimes that are disquieting. And the preacher wants us to understand a few things about these times. What, what, what do we think? What, what do we uh, think about time? Is time a good thing or is time a bad thing? Is time a blessing or is it a curse? In this lifetime, a lot of times time feels so unforgiving and unrelenting. But think about it. I think time in Eden was a blessing, right? There was always plenty of it. There's time to eat from the tree of life in the morning and time to spend naming animals and tending to the garden. Time to share together and help each other as husband and wife. Time to walk with God in the evening. Time to just enjoy everything in God's good creation. But with the fall, time along with everything else in this world has been cursed. And and in a way, I think the curse of death is merciful because timelessness plus sinlessness would be hell. But limited time coupled with our our sinfulness is, is our lot in this life right now. Now, time moves too fast. Makes us feel rushed. And there's never enough of it. We have this eternity that's built into our hearts, but not here. Not this kind of eternity. The, the promise of God and the hope of redemption is a coming time where we again get to experience timelessness plus sinlessness. That's heaven. 
That was Eden. That's the kind of eternity that we were created for. We also need to understand that the times are not always all bad. Neither are they always all good. There's going to be times for laughing and times for weeping. There's times to love and times to hate. Times for dancing and times for mourning. And and if you've lived any length of time, you already know that that's true. But so often, we have this, this theologically flawed way of thinking that thinks that, that things are supposed to be good all of the time. Which, which leads us to believe that when things are good, that means God likes us and is rewarding us. And when things are bad, that means God is mad at us and is punishing us. But neither is necessarily true. Job's wife and friends made this error. When all these bad things befall Job, they think, they assume that it's because Job has done something wrong and God is punishing him. They were wrong. Jesus' disciples make uh, the same kind of mistake when they come across a man who was born blind and they ask Jesus, why is he like this? Who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? Jesus' answer is, uh, neither. In the rich young ruler from Matthew 19, uh, we see kind of the opposite error. He asks Jesus, what do I need to do uh, to be saved? And Ultimately, Jesus says, it's easy. You just sell everything, give it all to the poor, and then come follow me. And the dude walks away sad and confused. Because I think he had this theologically flawed way of thinking that all of the riches that he had were because God had blessed him. But Jesus says, no, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. So the theological error of thinking that the times should always be good, that will inevitably lead to either self-righteousness or self-pity. Because we'll think that we're the ones that somehow control the times. But we don't. I think that's the whole point of this poem. It's to get us to see that there is a sovereign God who is totally and completely in control of everything, every season. We should understand that, that the seasons of life referred to in this poem, they flow from what the preacher has already discovered about life. That it's, it's circular. There's nothing new. Keeps spinning around and around. There's always been these kind of seasons, and there always will be. The wise person will recognize the different seasons of life and respect them. I think that's what he wants. He wants us to have a healthy respect for these times. The fool denies that there are proper seasons and is constantly fumbling. I mean, I think, I think we've all met this kind of person. 
Always, always full of pride, often angry at God. They plant at the wrong time and then they wonder why there's no harvest. Or they tear down when a builder is what's needed. Or they're always laughing, always joking, even around people who, who are weeping. Or they're always opening their mouths when it's time to be silent. I think it was this inability to understand and respect the times that leads Job's friends to speak out of season. And it, instead of just sitting there in the ashes and mourning alongside him, they accuse him and curse him. They offer bad advice and, and ill-informed opinions. And Proverbs 18 says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. And why? Why, why do foolish people do and say foolish things out of season? I think it's, it's because they either have never learned to understand and respect and discern the changes in the seasons, or they flat out deny them. But most often, it's because we want to control the times. We want to be in charge. We want there to be an on and off switch, especially for the bad times. We want there to be some sort of magic spells that will take away all the hurts. We want the good, faithful Christians to always have the good times and the evil, bad people to always have the bad times. But the preacher of Ecclesiastes points out that that is not how life under the sun works. He'll lament that fact more uh, in the second half of chapter 3. We'll see that next week, how he points out that sometimes life under the sun is not fair. Good times fall on bad people and bad times fall on good people. Neither the fool nor the wise man really controls anything. Who does? Who is in control of these times and these seasons? Who's established them? It's God. It's not you. It's not me. We cannot control any of it. We can't control the day of our birth or the day of our death or anything in between. And so failure to understand and respect these seasons of life will lead us to become incredibly inflexible people. We'll become blind to the signals that the change is coming in the season. We'll become horribly unskilled at navigating the times. What this, what that looks like in, in the life of an average person is, is often confusion and discontentment and fear and frustration. The person who doesn't understand this poem will always be trying to avoid all of the bad seasons and prolong the good ones and never really understanding the purpose of either one. But, but James, the brother of Jesus, he, he understood the purpose of the good and the bad. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Paul understood and respected the seasons of life. Philippians 4, he says, not that I speak from what, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Recognizing the times means recognizing the One who established the times. Look at verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 3. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. He asked this question in verse 9. What profit is there to the work that we do? What is the return for our investment? How are we supposed to view the things that we do? First and foremost, we're to recognize that God is wise and that God is sovereign and that He knows what He's doing. He has made everything appropriate in its time. And I, that's a horrible translation. I don't think the word here is appropriate. I don't think that's the best word. I think the New American Standard is the only translation that uses that. Literally, the word means beautiful. God has made everything, every season, beautiful in its time. Not just functional, but beautiful. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's how God works. Even in this fallen, broken, cursed Twisted world, God can take messed up things and make them beautiful because He's in control. Romans 8.28 says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those, uh, to those who love God who are called according to His purpose. We, and we know that that's true. How, how do we know that that's true. How do we know that God can cause all things to work together for good? Because of who God is. Because He's the one who can redeem. He's the one who calls us and saves us and who brings life out of dust. God is the one who can bring all things together for good. That is a powerful confession of God's sovereign glory. It's a statement that is, should bring us this sense of awe and reverence. And it should cause us to have this sense of relief, rest, no matter what the seasons in our lives are, whether it's the good side or the bad side, we can rest because we know God is there and God is in control. God has made everything beautiful in its time. The preacher also tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. 
God has done this. God has placed in us a longing for eternity in our hearts. And I think this applies to everybody, all of us, whether you go to church or don't go to church, whether you're a Christian or not, every human being has this longing for eternity in us. But there's nothing in this temporary world that can satisfy that longing. C.S. Lewis talks about this, this built-in longing for eternity in the book Mere Christianity. He says this, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. He goes on to say, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If God has indeed placed a longing for eternity in our hearts, then we will view the good things of this world simply as, as echoes of the eternal joy that awaits. And we will treat the earthly pleasures that we have here appropriately. We will treat them as, as stewards of the good things that God has given us. And we'll treat them with gratefulness. Look at verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it and there's nothing to take away from it. God has so worked that men should fear Him. I think right here is where we find the meaning of life. By rejoicing in God's goodness and grace. And by thanking Him. And by loving Him more. Not in, not in worshiping work or food or pleasure but worshiping the One who gives us those good things and rejoicing. When your moms give your kids a cookie, you want them to thank you for the cookie, to be grateful and to enjoy it. You don't want them to start worshiping cookies and making it the goal of their life to eat as many cookies as they possibly can. Right? When God gives us good things from His hand, He wants us to thank Him and love Him and appreciate Him. Not to worship those things. There's nothing better than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. Eating and drinking and finding contentment in the work that God has given us to do. That, that is a gift from God. Again, not worshiping the creation, but instead simply being content with what God has given us as a gift. Living life in that way. Living life with gratitude for God in awe of God. That is a gift from Him. 
God would wants us to rejoice and be thankful, then do good and to live wisely and to always stand in awe. Verse 14 is one more reminder that God is sovereign. He is the one who creates eternal things. His plan is perfect. Our response is to, to fear Him. Literally, to stand in awe of Him at all times because His time is perfect. The one who, who modeled this respect and understanding of the times perfectly was Jesus. Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus was born at at just the right time. And His ministry began at the appointed time. And Jesus understood that there was a time to be born and that there was going to be a time to die. He understood that there was a time to laugh and there was a time to mourn. He understood that there was a time to build and a time to tear down. That there was a time to seek and a time to give up. He understood that there was a time to speak, to bear witness of the kingdom of heaven that was at hand, and there was a time to keep silent. The birth and life and ministry of Jesus Christ causes us to stand in awe of God. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of all of God's promises. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not a moment too early or a moment too late. Just the right time. At the divinely appointed time, Christ died for us. In Isaiah 49, God says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And at exactly the right time, at the exact time appointed by God the Father, Jesus will come back again. And at that time, everyone will stand in awe of God. In the meantime, for us, we need to understand and respect the times and the seasons of life We need to recognize that the sovereign God has established every season under heaven and that He is in control. And we must live our lives with gratitude and reverent awe. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for the fact that we can have this trust and this confidence in You as a God who is sovereign and in control. Lord, we recognize that through every season of our lives, the good things and the bad things and everything in between, that You're there, that You're present, and that You're in control, that we can rest and that we can trust You. Lord, help us to receive every good thing as a gift from Your hand and understand that even the difficult things produce endurance and perseverance in our lives. May all those things, the good things, and the difficult things. May they draw us closer to You. May they cause us to stand in awe of You. Thank You that You are a good, loving, 
awesome, sovereign God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.